Hello, friends. Greg Kokel, welcome to the show here. We're well into December, and um, I'm actually getting on an airplane at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. That means I have to get to the airport at 5.30. That means I have to leave my house about, what, 4.30 uh, in order to go to Zondervan to uh, record a series of videos associated with the new book that will be coming out in June. September 6th, which is not only D-Day, but it's my 25th anniversary day. So uh, it's called Street Smarts, and um, so I've got my hands full right now. <laughs> but uh, And I'm thinking about some things as I'm working through um, uh, the scripting from the manuscript. So you write the book, and then you take the manuscript, and then you write scripts from the material, you try to condense it down to make something workable on video. There's going to be 10 video sessions for this book because it's an 80,000-word book, and some of you are wondering, how how big is that? Well, Story of Reality was 55,000, just to give you an idea. So it's longer than that. I think 10th anniversary was 75,000 of tactics, and so this is around that size a little bit bigger. Anyway, so lots of work that I'm working on right now and, and uh, stumble across some things I want to chat with you about. But before I get to that, um, I want to mention something else. I, I, wish, I just want you to think about this, what's been going on in, in the culture and, and the role that we at Stand to Reason have, been, have taken working very hard to make a difference uh, in the lives of Christians to make a difference in the culture for the cause of Christ, because our focus is on you. It's not on the culture. I mean, we address that. I speak at universities. I'm at University of Kentucky the end of January, the last day of January I fly out. Uh, nevertheless, what our goal really is, is to train you up to meet the need wherever your boots hit the ground. And, of course, I've talked about the what I called a couple of years ago, the ideological tidal wave that's hit our culture and has been hammering uh, Christians. I look back on that now, and that looks like a shore break, given what's been happening the last two years. And so my focus, personally, when I think about this, and I probably shared this with you before, is I want to protect the church, that's you, from the world without and from the wolves within. From the world without and from the wolves within, and there's lots of wolves. And my conviction is that things are going to get a lot worse before they start getting better. Okay, I'm not a prophet or a prophet's son, but that's just the way things look for me. That means that stand to reason we have a job to do, to help you to stand firm and to stand tall, no matter what the world throws at you. And we have been doing this for over 29 years. In other words, we're in the middle of our 30th year. In May, we'll have our 30-year anniversary celebration, training you to stand tall and to stand firm. We're building the body of Christ. Now, uh, by the way, after three decades, I, don't, I think our, our work here, our efforts, our investment in you has never been more important. And I'm bringing this up because this is December, and this time of year is especially important for us economically. You already know that, because how we finish the year financially sets the stage for everything that we want to accomplish next year, which is a lot. And we can't do this without you. It is your kindness, your generosity, and your belief in what we do at STR that makes 
our work possible. So I'm just simply asking, and I almost never ask this, but certainly in December it's appropriate, um, that uh, that you give generously to Stand to Reason this month. And if you give by December 27th, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give a gift to you, okay? It's Natasha Crane's new book, Faithfully Different, Regaining Biblical Clarity in a Secular Culture. We've had her on for a whole hour, just, was it last week we had her on for about 20 minutes? Was it two weeks ago? Okay, well, time flies, right? Um, anyway, we've had, obviously, Natasha on a number of times, and we really believe in this book, and I believe in it so much, I want you to have a copy. And that's what we'll give you in response to your book. So if you've benefited from any of STR's content over the year, or over the years, and if you believe in the work that we're doing, please help us by giving a gift this month so we can train lots of others not just you, but so many others. We are here because of you, and we are here for you, but we're also here together with you for so many others. I think we can stand this tidal wave that we're facing, but we need your help to do it at Stand to Reason. So I I look forward to hearing from you. You can send us a letter. You can respond to things that we send you in the mail or an email. You can go to our website. There's lots of ways. We try to make it easy. This is one of my rules. Easy for people to give us money, okay? Um, and uh, But that's up to you whether you give or not. And I want you just to make an assessment. Have we given to you in a meaningful way and also to others? And if you think we have... And you want to participate in a in a substantive way financially, this is the time to do it. All right? And I'll just thank you in advance for that kind of help. Now I was mentioning just a few moments ago about about the book that I'm doing. It's called Street Smarts. And basically it's it's kind of a, an apologetics book where you deal with a number of different issues, like atheism and the problem of evil and abortion and the Bible and the person of Jesus and marriage and sex and gender and all of these kinds of things that we're getting challenged by in the community. The uh, the section I was working on today before the show, getting ready for my filming in the next couple of days over at Sondervan in Grand Rapids, is uh, the section on science and Christianity. And, of course, you know, the standard kind of, uh, what, what do you call it, a um, trope, there you go, is that religion and science are on a collision course. You know, science gives you truth. It's about facts. Science is about faith, and it gives you, well, f- fantasy or whatever, but it doesn't give you real information about the world. It's just to make you feel good. Or It is science that gives you true information about the world. And so many have, um, have, have kind of used this line of thinking to inveigh against Christianity in some fashion. I had a, a debate three hours on national radio with Michael Shermer, uh, one of a Skeptic Magazine founder, and one of his um, standard responses or or uh, uh, points that he makes in his own presentations and debates is that he used to be a Christian and believe in God, now he believes in science. So he used to believe in God, now he believes in science, not religion, 
empirical facts. That's the way he's characterized it. And there's a lot of people. Now, I think it's a false dichotomy, obviously, because not only is the world now filled with scientists deeply committed to their craft who also uh, are committed to the conviction that there is a God, (laughs) and Christianity is true, and there is no substantive conflict between the disciplines of religion, uh, of uh, the disciplines of science, and their theological convictions, okay? That is, they, they, it isn't, they're not separate worlds, they go hand in hand. And it turns out that this was the case for virtually every single founder of the modern scientific disciplines. So whether it's in astronomy or in mathematics or in genetics or in, uh, you know, uh, what, what, pressure, what <laughs> air pressure stuff, can't think of the right, pneumatics uh, or something like that, every single one of them was a, almost every single one of them was not just a, a theist, but a Bible-believing Christian couple of them were a little fuzzy on some details of theology, but the, the Christian worldview was their worldview. And that worldview is the reason why modern science, as we know it, sprung up in Christian Europe. Okay? Now, in the book, I go into details about why that's the case, but there's one particular <clears throat> angle to this that I want to speak to. And that angle is the angle of um, that that in people's minds somehow science as a discipline has adequately um, I'm looking for the best word maybe disproved is a little bit strong but certainly ha- is adequate so that we can dismiss religious claims all right and I think what people have thought when they hear these kinds of things is that somehow the deliverances of science, what scientists have discovered, have have forcefully and decisively invade against religious claims. So maybe the most forceful way of putting it is that science has proven there is no God, science has proven that supernatural doesn't exist, science this, science that, science the other thing. And um, as one person put it, um, he, he, he doesn't believe in resurrections because science has shown that dead people don't rise again. Now, my observation about this is that science has shown nothing of the sort. Science hasn't said that dead people can't rise again. Um, what, what, what science can tell you is whether a person is dead or alive, or dead at one point in time and alive sometime after. They can assess all of that. What they can't inveigh against is resurrections proper. Science doesn't say that resurrections or supernatural events of any kind can't happen. And there's a simple reason, because science is meant to measure the physical world and regularities in the physical world, and therefore it can only draw conclusions about 
about physical things. It cannot say that the physical regularities, we call them the laws of nature, are inviolable or sacrosanct in some way or rule other alternatives causes out. It can't do that. That is not the function of science. That is philosophy. It is the atheist philosophy who tells them bodies can't rise from the dead. It isn't science that says that because science doesn't have access to that kind of information. So let me give you an illustration that I think makes this point. And uh, as usual, I'm just going to start with a question, all right? And the question is, can you weigh a chicken with a yardstick? Can you weigh a chicken with a yardstick? Now, I know some of you engineer types are thinking, well, I can use the yardstick and make a balance beam and somehow make a weighing device. No, that's not what I mean. Using a yardstick for what it was intended to do, can you determine a chicken's weight? And the answer is no, of course you can't. You, you, can, you can determine its length or its width because that's what rulers are, are designed to do, but you can't determine its weight simply by using a yardstick. Now, given that limitation of yardsticks, does it follow from that that the chicken has no weight? No, of course not. You can't tell that. In other words, uh, the, the, the yardstick is meant to measure one thing, not another, okay? And um, this tool, so here's the basic principle. Tools meant to measure one feature tell you nothing about other features they can't measure. And this notion is so basic, it's easy to miss its significance regarding science and the supernatural. So let me just state it bluntly. Strictly speaking, science is not capable of ruling out anything in principle now about the immaterial realm. Now, there might be a claim to a particular miracle, oh, I was healed of cancer, and then they go and take an x-ray or an MRI or a CAT scan or something and say, no, you weren't healed, the cancer's still there. But that's just an assessment of an individual circumstance where a claim of healing turns out to be a false claim because the empirical evidence shows the disease is still present. But that's not inveighing against miracles per se, and that's the problem, okay? Science is not capable of ruling out anything in the immaterial realm. So science can't prove there is no God. It can't prove or establish that miracles are not possible. It's designed to measure physical things using empirical methods. That means it's only capable of drawing conclusions about physical things, not about anything non-physical, like, for example, the supernatural. Now, this isn't dissing science. It's just admitting a natural limitation of the method, that's all. And, um, and the, the mistake that people make is thinking that if science can't find it, like supernatural or God or souls or whatever, then it doesn't exist. Now, th that is philosophy again. That's not science. Science is not designed to answer that question. 
It doesn't serve that purpose. But the mistake is made all the time. I think I might have mentioned in the past about the Time Magazine article I read many years ago, and it was a whole issue dedicated to the issue of consciousness. What is that strange thing called consciousness? And there's a lot of talk about it and a lot of discussion about brain chemistry, etc. But at the end of the article, they concluded, and this was many years ago, but it's the same conclusion that they have come to now. There's a kind of a shoulder shrug. We don't know what consciousness is. However, the article did say we know what it isn't. Okay? And here I'm reading directly from the article. Despite our every instinct to the contrary, very interesting how they put that, it seems like there's a self inside. This is what they're going to address, the soul, because now they're talking about that issue. Consciousness seems to be evidence for a soul. But wait a minute. Despite those instincts, there is one thing that consciousness is not. So we don't know what it is, but we know what it isn't some entity deep inside the brain that corresponds to the self, some kernel of awareness that runs the show. So, the light's on, but nobody's home, right? There's no self in there running things, according to them. Now, that's a pretty bold thing to say. Um, but they give their reasons. And here's the reason. Again, I'm quoting. How um, after more than a century of looking for it, brain researchers have long since concluded that there is no conceivable place for such a self, that's the soul, to be located in the physical brain and that it simply doesn't exist. Do you want that a moment? There's no soul. There's no self in there. No kernel of individual awareness. Wait, wait, I, I, it seems to me that I am individually aware, and that awareness is inside of me. It's not inside of Amy or, or Kyle or Derek. It's in me. I'm aware that I'm myself. Oh, wait, but they're scientists. They know what they're talking about. They're telling me that, nope, that doesn't exist. W what makes you so confident? Two reasons. We've been looking for it for a hundred years, and we haven't been able to find it. That's the first one. And second, there's no room in the brain for it to fit. My paraphrase, but that's the substance. Now, do you see how silly that is? This is Time Magazine, and these are smart people, but I've said many times that very intelligent people make very fundamental mistakes in thinking when it comes to spiritual matters. Okay. There's no soul, because we've been looking for it and haven't been able to find it in the brain, plus there's no space for it to fit in the brain. Okay, that's like saying, you know, you said there was an invisible man in your house. Well, I went in there, and I didn't see him anywhere. I looked under the bed. I looked in the closet. I looked in all the rooms. Checked the backyard. I didn't see any invisible man. Well, of course you're not going to see an invisible man, because he's invisible. And in the same way, you're not going to be able to find an immaterial soul by looking for it using scientific methods that are meant to measure something material. 
and it doesn't need any place to fit because immaterial things have no uh, spatial location in three in the three-dimensional universe the soul isn't in the body like a pea is in the pod you open the pod there's the pea you don't open the brain and see the soul well they've tried it they looked at that we didn't see it so it's not there no 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 now this doesn't prove a soul exists hands down that's a different enterprise giving evidence for the existence of an immaterial thing but this demonstrates this is not the way to show it doesn't exist Yet this is the way this issue is handled all the time. All this shows is that the, of the inability of science to find something that science is not designed to find. All right? So don't miss this point. It's the main one. It's critical here. Science is wonderful. It does all kinds of great things and gives us all kinds of sensational knowledge and it helps us to do all kinds of amazing things. But it cannot foreclose on anything outside of its domain. It can't foreclose on, when I say foreclose, I mean it can't say it doesn't, it's not possible. On those would be souls, spirits, gods, or God, Salvation, heaven, hell, all of those things are outside of the domain of science for a simple reason. It's not equipped to measure those things. It's like trying, excuse me, to weigh a chicken with a yardstick. So this approach to defeating theism or religion of any kind is a dead end. I think a lot of religious views can be defeated, but not like this. Okay? Science can't foreclose on its own. Now, by the way, there is a kind of a—the flip side isn't actually always true. That is, sometimes scientific empirical evidence can allow us to infer some non-natural cause. By the way, that's forensic pathology. Did the guy— die of natural causes, or did he die of foul play? What's foul play? Foul play is an agent killing him. (laughs) All right? So you could look, okay, he's got five bullet holes in his chest. Uh, Gee, did he die of a heart attack? Did he die of cancer? Did he die of COVID? Probably not. Probably the bullets killed him. Notice what we can do. In this case, we can look at physical evidence that allows us to infer agency. Um, so it's not a, exactly a two-way way street. Um, well, I guess in one sense it is. If somebody, as I mentioned earlier, claims that a miracle has taken place, and our evidence shows that nothing has changed miraculously, like the cancer's still there, then science can show that in that instance, there has not been a supernatural activity to heal since the healing is measurable by empirical methods. And so I guess in a similar fashion, we can look at some set of physical circumstances and ask, what does the physical circumstances suggest about the origin of something? I'm looking at notes here, typed notes. They were notes from what I was working on today for my script 
for the uh, videos, the 10 sessions that will accompany the uh, Street Smarts book all coming out next year. Well, I'm looking at this paper, and I see a bunch of typing that looks like words, and they look like my words and my ideas. So the best explanation for this, the stuff on this page here, is not a naturalistic explanation. I can look at the physical stuff and infer from it that someone wrote this. And according to my own memory, me is the one, or I am the one. It is I. Me did it not some natural event. So you can look at empirical evidence and infer agency. It's, we do it all the time. That wasn't an accident. Somebody did that on purpose. Well, it seems to me we can look at the physical world then and look at the origin of the universe, the design of uh, uh, the apparent design of the universe, the unbelievable, un- unbelievably refined ways that things interact on many different levels. And uh, we can properly infer from the physical evidence that an agent was responsible for that, not an accident. So agency, agent causation, not event causation. So, um, but that's interesting to me. We can use science to demonstrate that an agent was involved. That's what um, anthropology is all about. That's what forensic pathology is about, okay? Uh, But what we can't do is use science to foreclose on the possibilities of a supernatural being or beings or supernatural events in our life. So we have nothing to fear from science, properly understood. All right, let's take a break. We have callers coming up on Stand to Reason. What if I'm wrong? Have you ever asked yourself that question? There are times when we feel confident about our convictions, but there are other times, if we're being honest, when we encounter doubts that leave us wondering if we got it all wrong. This has caused many to deconstruct their faith. If you can't give a why to your faith, you won't be able to give a why not to your doubts. In other words, if you don't have a Christianity anchored in what's true, you will always be at the mercy of your doubts. That's why we're excited to announce this year's Reality Conference. Our theme is Seek and You Will Find. We will equip students to navigate their doubts by seeking answers to their toughest questions. Because when you seek answers, you find truth. It's time to examine the foundations of our faith because a strong faith requires a strong foundation. Join us at one of this year's Reality Student Apologetics Conferences. For more information, visit realityapologetics.com. Friends, if you like this broadcast, I know you'll love Hashtag STRask. It's our shorter 20-minute podcast where I am paired with the wonderful Amy Hall, and together we answer the questions you send us on Twitter. Hashtag STRask is released twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and it's only about 20 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to on your morning jog or while driving around running errands or cleaning your garage or just plain loafing at home. Amy and I tackle your questions on theology and ethics and culture and lots more, offering our insight on the questions you're asking or the challenges you face. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your own shows. Just remember, send us your questions on Twitter using the name of the podcast, hashtag STRask. That's hashtag STRask. 
The pro-life view against abortion involves legal, moral, scientific, and philosophical reasoning. So, why do abortion choice advocates keep insisting that pro-life arguments are religious? Find out the reason in the latest episode of my podcast, Thinking Out Loud with Alan Schleeman. Look for it on iTunes, your favorite podcast app, or at the top of the homepage at str.org. I forgot to mention something uh, I have been talking in, in the past, maybe last week, I, uh, if memory serves me correctly, that I will be gone for a few weeks in uh, January. Mostly we're, we're packing up shows in advance here, but part of what we're doing, too, is uh, extra hashtag STR asks um, with, with Amy, and uh, I'll also be drawing on open mic calls now open my calls are where you do a question like you normally would do by calling in but instead of calling and waiting online like garrett and jeff are online at the moment while waiting for me you um you call into our number or use our website and then you just record your question there then uh, amy takes it and that provides us with a series of questions then for shows where i'm not taking live calls Okay, uh, and we're getting short on those. So uh, just to let you know, we're we are m- working through our number in the next few um, non-live shows. We'll be doing that. So some of you who have put in your questions, you will have those answered before too long. But we need more. So um, if you have questions, you don't have time to call. It's just inconvenient. Uh, the call-in time would be Tuesdays from four until six p.m. Eight five five two four three. 9975. But if you can't do that, um, you can go to the live broadcast page on our website and just follow the prompts. Or you can uh, simply dial 857-DIAL-STR, 857-DIAL-STR, or 857-342-5787. Give us your, your question there. Try to be brief. Keep it under a minute if it possibly can. I know it's hard, I know. but that's what we, we request. And we'll add your name and your question to the list, and then I'll have some things to talk about. Um, prepping these shows to be available for the couple, two or three weeks, I don't know how long, that I will not be live on the air. We'll see how that works out. But anyway, just need open mic calls and hashtag STRS calls. By the way, the hashtag STRS are written, all right? And the open mic calls are spoken. That's the difference. The open mic calls come to me during this show, and the hashtag STR Ask goes to that show, and you have the benefit of hearing famous Amos Amy Hall and her input on the questions that you ask. Uh, one one last thing before I get to the calls that this ties in with my opening comments. I mentioned that that citation from Time Magazine. Despite our every instinct to the contrary, there's one thing that consciousness is not. Some entity deep inside the brain that corresponds to the self. Some kernel of awareness that runs the show. Now, they mention deep inside the brain because that's all they have to work with. They, uh, they deny the so-called ghost in the machine. All right? 
whatever's whatever you are has got to be in the brain somewhere but there is no n- nothing in the brain that corresponds to the self now think about this if the brain is all that exists there's kind of the operating mechanism of the body and there is no self in the brain then there is no self in the body then there is no self there is no you unless you just want to say you is a synonym for your entire physical body at any moment of its development that's all you are and if that's the case then the you you are today isn't the you you were when you were born or when you were a toddler or a teenager or a young adult if you're older like me it's a different you because you are just your body and your body is very different now I know that sounds wildly counterintuitive <laughs> uh, because it's false you are not simply your body by the way there's another problem here and I don't know if you caught it and frankly when I was going over the material today this was when this jumped out at me in a way that hadn't before yes there's no there's nothing that deep inside the brain back to the quote again that corresponds to the self some kernel of awareness that runs the show that's what jumped out that last one I've read it a bunch of times but then I'm thinking about wait a minute there's no you that runs the show okay well then what runs the show it's not a who that runs the show because there is no who that's what they're saying and of course that would be the consequence of materialism there's no who there's just a what there's a, a brain and a physical body so what then is running the show well the brain is running the show but that means some physical entity responding to its physical environment is making things happen well do you see the implications of that determinism is the implication because all physical systems run deterministically if you set the things up all the same way you're going to get the result by the way that is the scientific method if if that isn't the case and you don't even know to quant go to quantum and determinism or anything it's not relevant to this question the fact is on a macro level above the quantum level everything is determined so even the words I'm speaking there's no kernel of self inside of me that is choosing these words running this show called stand to reason something else is running the show I'm just my machine body is simply reacting somehow in a complicated way to this to the events the physical events that came before these physical events that I call my choices but our choices because they can't be choices because it takes a self to make a choice and there is no self there's just a brain doing what it does in response to the physical environment you see what's at stake here you also you don't need a philosopher to see what's wrong with this it is counterintuitive despite our every instinct to the contrary they say yes in this particular case your instincts are reliable you exist and you are running the show that's why you can be held responsible for what you choose to do either for good or for bad so we praise people who choose good things and we punish people who choose bad things 
but that requires a you, a kernel of self, of some sort that in a meaningful way is running the show, not merely your brain. All right, enough of that. Let's talk to Garrett in Tennessee. And Garrett, welcome to the show. Hey, Greg, how you doing? Okay, thank you. By the way, where in Tennessee are you? Uh, Nashville. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to be in Knoxville the end of uh, okay. the, the last weekend, I guess, of January and the first couple of days of February. So that's, I mean, what is that, about three hours away? Yeah, I think two or three, yeah. Yeah, okay. Just, uh, I'm going to be in, uh, actually, I'm going to be at um, University of Kentucky, which I've actually been there in Knoxville at University of K- Kentucky before. So I just saw my schedule, just just saying. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? Um, yeah, well, I, first I just want to say, um, I think it was the last episode I, I listened to, uh, I heard about your, your knee, so I just want to say that I'm, I'm praying for you. Oh, My thank family you. has a lot of knee issues, so I know that's hard. Um, so just hoping everything goes good. Yeah, actually, in my case, it's my right hip. My wife had her oh, knee yeah, replaced yeah, yeah. in, in okay. uh, September. No, I'm sorry, not September, mm-hmm. in January, February. No, in January. She had her knee replaced, and okay. uh, and so I mean that seems to be going pretty good now. But my it's my hip that's going to be replaced. Oh, okay, that's my bad. But, yeah, that's right. Well, you can still pray yeah. for it. So thank yeah, you, my will, right yeah, my right hip. Actually, the okay. doctor looking at the X-rays and the MRIs said it's actually your left hip that looks worse, but your right hip is the one inflamed, and it's the one that hurts. So that's the one we're fixing yeah. first. Oh wow. Fortunately, I got free time in January, and uh, I I can I can rest a bit then and recover. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um. So I feel like my question's a little. It's kind of confusing, but um, maybe like a little information will help. Um, I find myself. Um, I, I think like like most Christians, I want obviously my my views to be biblical. I want them to be you know straight out of scripture. Sure. Um. And so I'm I'm studying. I'm I'm reading and studying on my own as much, but I obviously Good. don't want to neglect um, teaching. Um, that's why I listen to your show, and I listen to a lot of other teachers that I uh-huh. um, that I trust, and I, 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 I see are very sound, but I almost find myself, like, I feel like whoever I'm listening to, I just kind of, like, almost agree with, <laughs> you know? When it comes Whoever to it certain, is, huh? Yeah. Yeah, certain do- doctrinal issues, like, you're, you're Reformed, and so when I listen to you, like, you speak as a reformed teacher, and I'm like, yes. And then when I listen to someone who's not, I'm like, I, I almost find myself like agreeing with them, but I'm like, but wait, just mm-hmm. yesterday I, I didn't. And so I, that, that's something I, I, I struggle with. I, I don't want to be gullible when it right. comes to you know, right. Christian doctrine, but I know that um, these are these are hard issues. And so my question was kind of um, for yourself, like your own story, were there doctrinal issues like being reformed or um, eschatology, or I know you talked on the other episode about your view on old earth. Um, were there, uh, like what views in your life have you had to be like, you needed a teacher. You couldn't on your own kind of work out all the details. Yeah. Well, there's, there's probably a number of those that I had held at one time when I was a younger Christian it, it, for some of the reasons that you just described. I had exposure 
to to one set of uh, views on it. And uh, I, I was socialized into a lot of those views. And it was later as I began looking a little bit more critically at some of those views that uh, and, and this I did have the help of other authors. And this is part of the way the body of Christ works. Um, let me say this, though, just so I, I, um, I, what I don't want anybody to think is just because there's a lot of differing views in Christianity about different things, then that it's kind of a crapshoot or a jump ball or whatever kind of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, the things that define Christianity, that make Christianity distinct from other religions, okay, what C.S. Lewis called mere Christianity, those are the kinds of things that are, are very well justified in Scripture. And characteristically, Christians around the world with access to the Scripture, even without being kind of theological experts, um, come to the same conclusions. So as some people have put it, the, the main things are the plain things kind of deal. Now, when you get to other things, then there's going to be differences of opinion, but generally those differences of opinion are kind of within the household as opposed to off the reservation, okay? The off the reservation types are, are people who deviate significantly from, from the, the answer, uh, on the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? And the question, who is Jesus? Okay, those are the big ones, all right? You know, the issue of salvation and the identity of Christ. That would be the person and the work of Christ, put in other words. So, but but those are pretty obvious. This is where people say Jesus is not God, or he's not the Messiah, <clears throat> or you're not saved by the grace of God, you're saved by some combination, maybe, of the grace of God, and you work your way to heaven. Okay, those are, those are departures from the core. All right, and when you look at groups that used to be called cults, like LDS or Christian Science or um, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses or something, it's, this is they've deviated on those things, but they are but they're on the fringe. the 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 bulk of Christians have understood um, the core ideas to be true, and with good reason because they're fairly obvious in Scripture. Okay. Your question then becomes, what about some of those things that aren't quite so obvious? Eschatology, or the role of the Holy Spirit in, um, in, in, in bringing a person to salvation. What does election mean, after all? You know, that's a biblical word. It says election. It says yeah. chosen. So what does that mean? And there are different ways of kind of cashing that out. Um, what about the second coming? There are a couple of different views on that. I held one view when I was an early Christian, a young Christian, largely because I was very much under the influence of Hal Lindsey at the time, mm -hmm. you know. In fact, I knew Hal quite well, and I spent time at his home, and I babysat his children, and um, was t taught the Bible uh, on a number of different issues, not just eschatology. But I have since uh, come to the conclusion that the pre-trib rapture scenario is not sound, in my view. And I came to that conclusion by looking at some alternate points of view on that question. And then going back to the Scripture and looking at the Scriptures that were offered to me as evidence for the view, and, and my, my own conclusion was that this wasn't—they the, the, weren't as compelling once I was looking at them with fresh eyes than, 
than they were when I, that was my whole community all believed the same thing. So I think to answer your question is, uh, to answer your question, first of all, the, 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 the main things are not in question. Okay, but these other things, Calvinism, Arminianism, our eschatology, uh, how do you baptize, you know, there are going to be different points of view, and we know these are within the family, we have these discussions, but the way to resolve them is to look at the case that is made for each view, and also, and this is really important, how does one side of a particular view answer the the case that is made for the opposing side, and vice versa. So let's just say, um, uh, we'll just very generally, I'm not going to argue the case here, but let's say uh, mm -hmm. an Arminian view of, of chosen an election, like William Lane Craig holds, or mm -hmm. a reform view, like R.C. Sproul would, would have held, okay, uh, and probably still does hold that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke because you, yeah. know, you and I both know, and maybe others RC's in heaven right now. So, in any event, yeah. it's just a self-serving comment. But uh, so, okay, well then we have the, the the case, and my view should be made scripturally. So we have these scriptures that support one view. Okay, we read that. We read the thing. Oh, that sounds persuasive. The Arminian. Then we then we think about the scriptures that support the the view of uh, the reform, we say, well, that they're making a good case too. Okay, now the next step is to say, how does a, a reformed person answer the scriptures offered by the Arminian person, and how does the Arminian person answer the scriptures or issues of the of the the reformed person? That's a, a loop that's not always completed. You know, mm -hmm. if you're just looking at either side, oh, they made the case. But what we want to know is, well, what does the other guy say about your reasons? When you get a good take on that, then you could, you're much better positioned to answer for yourself um, which few you think is the, is the most sound. And so when I looked at the way critics of the pre-trib rapture answered the, the so-called rapture verses— I thought, well, that makes a lot of sense to me. It it doesn't seem like the so the pre-tribbers and the verses they've used have have made the point they say they make. At first blush, it does, but when you look more closely and you consider some of the alternate points or consider the the critique that's offered by by someone else, then you start seeing things you didn't see before all on your own. Then you make your choice, what you think is most reasonable. And if you think it's really, really, a, um, you know, a slam dunk, once you've done all of that for one view or the other, then you hold that view with some conviction. If you think, I guess I'm leaning this way, all things considered, but I wouldn't say it's a slam dunk, there's a lot of mystery here, well, then you can hold your convictions, but with a looser grip if you understand my, yeah. my meaning. That's the way I would approach it. That's the way I do approach these kinds of things. So there's, there's help that others can give, but it's really good to hear the opposite view, especially the opposite view critique of the other side, and vice versa. That makes yeah. sense? Yeah, it does. I think I'm, I'm at the point where I, while I work, I, I listen to a lot of <laughs> videos and, uh, uh, or on like Spotify or YouTube. Um, mm -hmm. 
And so I'm just like hearing all the the views. And so I feel like what I need is now to be reading all the verses and, and trying to, you know, mm-hmm. see if their justification is right, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's kind of, it's, it's still on me to do that part <laughs> because I have heard, you know, the arguments from, from both sides. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. All right. Well, that's good. And, uh, you know, just do a, a deep dive in the text. Uh, uh, sometimes what I found, and I'm, I'm trying not to be partisan here, but sometimes what, what yeah. I found is that that um, some, sometimes a view is held based on objections to the opposite view that uh, that uh, a person hasn't had answered. Okay. Yeah. And and uh, Amy and I have talked about this on you know when we were together on the show that the the key thing should be to start with scripture, not with questions to a broader doctrine. All right. Well, if what you say is true, then what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about that? Okay, that's the wrong way to go. What uh, what the the order is wrong in my view. What you want to do is start with Scripture. So any with any view that uh, any side of a theological issue, you want to look at what is your scriptural support for your view. Show me your scriptural support. Boom, 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 boom. Good. Okay, now show me the Scripture report for this other view. That's the way to start, okay? Then you can ask, well, maybe view A creates these problems, okay? How do you answer those problems in light of your understanding of what Scripture says? Maybe view B creates problems. Well, then how do we answer those problems in light of what Scripture seems to be saying. And to me, that's one of the most vital steps. Um, start with the text, try to figure out what the text means, and then then deal with whatever problems your understanding of the text seems to suggest. Sometimes the problems are, are decisive. They're overwhelming. I don't know how to solve it. Maybe I'm misreading. Maybe the other guy's reading the text accurately, and the first guy isn't. And that's kind of how you weigh one or the other. It's a process like that. And you got you got your whole life to do it, okay, Garrett? Yeah. No worries about that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, it's great talking to you, and I appreciate the call. And uh, I'm sure Thank I'll you. hear from you again. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Bye bye now. Bye bye. All right, let's go to um, Jeff. And hey, Jeff, thank you for calling. We, we've got some STR asks. I think you sent in too, right? Yes, I uh, called in. I've had a thought on my mind, and I just trying to find the time to do it. But I finally was able to call in. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> oh, oh, these are open mic. So, yeah. Well, so we'll get to your issue now. And you got the short shrift, unfortunately, six minutes. So, if we don't cover it all right now, we can cover it on the open mic um, issues as well. So, go ahead, Jeff. What's on your mind? Okay. So, uh, basically, um, you know, God makes us. He makes and He makes our personalities. He makes who we are. Um, so, does if He makes everything that we are, why is He not um, in some way uh, responsible for the choices that we make. You know, he gives us free will. That's what the Bible says. But um, he gives us, you know, we make these choices based on who we are and how we think and, you know, our level of humility or our level of um, obedience or whatever that's kind of in there. Um, so how is that, how is he not responsible in that? And like, also, if it's like pure free will, 
why you know it's, it's just like a 50 50 chance or whatever i don't yeah. know how that exactly works. no how, well, why, is the, why is it not like a broad the broad why is it the broad road leads to destruction but the narrow path leads to salvation you know and um, yeah sure well there's a lot there we could talk a half an hour on all those things uh just a clarification okay. of jesus <laughs> in matthew i'm gonna answer it later i will <laughs> say again I listen all the time, so if you want to answer it more later, that'd be fine. Yeah, okay, well, let's talk a little bit. Well, we got about five minutes, so four and a half minutes. So let's, regarding Matthew's account of Jesus' comment about the broad, narrow way, Jesus is talking there about the options, all right? There's not a lot of options that lead to life. There's a lot of options that lead to death. That's his point there, okay? And so he wants us to take the narrow option, not the broad option. So that particular issue fits in a different category than your earlier the earlier questions you were asking. Okay, got that? Okay. Um, okay. Secondly, you, 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 this is a conditional, the question, if God did such and so. Well, a lot depends on whether God did that or not. You said, if God created our personalities— why isn't he basically partially accountable? Well, that presumes that God created all of our personalities. Everything that is is native to ourselves, our interests and all that, is something that God purposefully put in there. But on the Christian view, whatever it is that God uh, purposed for us is going to be influenced by the fall. And so our personalities are going to have either qualities that God did not put in there, or they're going to be distorted in a way that that God didn't distort. So your question sounds a bit to me like when people say, if God made me gay, then why is it wrong for me to be gay? Well, that presumes that God made them gay. I don't believe God made them gay. That's not what you're saying here now, but there's a, a kinship yeah. between these kinds of statements. Yeah. So um, w- w- I think there's a, th- that God made us unique. I don't know how that always looks. How much of Greg Kokel's personality is God responsible for, and how much is Frank Kokel, my dad, <laughs> responsible for, or Betty Kokel, my mom? Uh, mm-hmm. There's there's a nature-nurture interaction here that 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 are really important factors uh, one individual with a certain nature that God in to some measure is responsible for not the fallen part but um, can 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 develop in all kinds of different ways depending on the nurture and so that's another factor entirely um, so I, I don't I don't think that that God is going to be, in a certain sense, morally responsible for whatever our personalities do, if he is not the one who is the precise author of those particular immoral aspects of our personality. Does that make, make sense to you? Yeah, I, I can see that. It's just, you know, like, if he's sovereign over all events and everything that would shape how we view things and shape how we think, like, he's, isn't he somewhat responsible for the nurture as well? And, like, I don't know, it's kind of like, you know, it's the whole thing about how does his will and our free will... Yeah, it is, and right, and that's kind of a mystery, all right? There is um, the—think of part of the nurture (laughs) is going to be satanic lies that we fall prey to. Now, God didn't make the lie, but we are certainly vulnerable to that, okay? So um, we are responsible for how we respond to that. We're vulnerable to lies, by the way, because as rebellious people in Second Thessalonians 2, we don't love the truth. 
and therefore it's easy to be deceived by the devil who wants to deceive us. So there's there are lots of different factors that are involved on the nurture side, and uh, that that are that are not um, how can I put it directly God's responsibility. Uh, there is a freedom that he gives us, but even the notion of free will, I mean, the Scripture doesn't say, I gave you free will. It doesn't make that statement. But there sure. is certainly um, a- freely chosen actions. We could have done one, we could have done the other, and some things that we do are immoral, some things that are good, and the immoral things get blame, and the good things get praise. I mean, that's that's built into the Scripture. So there is a freedom that's involved there, Sometimes nailing down exactly what freedom looks like is going to be a lot harder, you know, and that's where we have the discussions between between philosophers and, uh, you know, theologians and what. We kind of hammer those kinds of things out. So the, what it amounts to is we've got a somewhat complex circumstance. God is not responsible for the evil. There is a nature... Uh, the natural element, in a sense, the nature that God provides for us, but it is influenced by evil, plus we've got nurture that makes a huge difference as well. So uh, an untidy set of circumstances, for sure. Very good question, though, Jeff, and I'm glad you called. Thank you for that. Great Coco now. Horse stand to reason. Gotta go. Give him heaven. Bye-bye now. <laughs> 